This is a Federal News Network podcast. The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Derek Dorch of the Diversa Group, which is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Network. Now your host, Derek T. Dorch. Welcome to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Network. Thank you for joining the show. Today we're going to be talking about some cyber issues because that's what's been going on in our society lately. A lot of things on cyber, but we've got an expert with us from the counterterrorism group. We've got Marina Tovar, and she is the team leader of the CI or counterintelligence and cyber team at the counterterrorism group. And she's going to be talking to us about a number of cyber issues that have been going on lately in our society that have some impact on all of us as we go forward. Marina, I just want to thank you for joining the show. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's a great honor for me to be here. Hey, you know, Marina, I was looking around at the CIA recently, and they just recently put out um, a YouTube video. And I was really kind of surprised. I mean, of course, the, the CIA is on YouTube, but they put out a YouTube video with a message. And I think it was, I think either, either Ukrainian language or Russian language or something in terms of almost getting a message out to the people overseas. What's that? What is that about right now? What's going on with that? It's actually, you guess right, it's in Russian, and we are covering that in our following security briefs, so check that out once it comes out. Um, the main information that we've been able to get is the fact that they are they have put out an information that was in Russian, and they mainly provided, I would say, instructions for those government officials um, or people that might have any kind of information that it would be useful for the CIA in terms of governmental plans or any operations. If you take a deep look, not only on the content on the video, but rather on the description on the video, you will see that you can find a description that says, all those government officials or people who might have information about the Russian government, here are directions to contact the CIA. And at the end, despite the fact that the video is in Russian and therefore it's difficult for understand for those non-Russian speakers like me, inside cyber, we have been able to do a reverse image search with Yandex and we have been able to translate all the messages. So the CIA mainly has provided directions on how to safely contact them. They can contact them by their website using a VPN and they have specific instructions on how to do that. Or on the other hand, they can use the deep web or the dark web using TOR, which is the, um, well, the onion ring, which is a safe mode of entering the dark web. And they have provided a specific link, which is a link which finishes with dot onion, which is the, usually the directions or the HTTPS that they have in the dark web for safely providing information to them. And they, need to provide information on the name, the country they are located, their full name and position. What kind of access do they have to the information that might be interesting or useful for them, as well as their contact details so that they that the CIA can, that can contact them safely. So this is mainly all about what the video contained. Marina, this is pretty amazing. I've never known an intelligence agency to use the uh, YouTube in this fashion. I mean, this yeah. is... This is almost unheard of um, in terms of uh, intelligence agency beginning to use some of these social media devices in this way. Is this the way that many of of the intel agencies are going to start using social media um, platforms? Are they going to start setting up or putting secret messages to certain people who can read them and 
giving you know special instructions for how to contact them? Is this the way of the future, you think? I'm not sure, but I think that it's a very clever way of communicating with people because at the end what I think that intelligence agencies do is the fact that they can use several I would say um, filters in order to search for specific cross like words in the internet and if all the information is presented in a video we would say that the text cannot be found by those filters so at the end they are trying to convey a message that is likely to arrive to people that the Russian government would not like to arrive and by introducing that information in a video recording it's more easily because it is more likely to not get detected if it's the future i don't know but it's a new way i had never seen that and if these agencies especially important agencies in the u.s which is the cia start using that it's likely that other agencies will use this method replicated in order for important people to gather information on possible countries that are a threat to their country might be a good way so yeah i would say so you know that we've been talking about the framework that kind of putin has been shutting down um you know almost access to many of the um, outside internet right you know you can't really supposedly many um news sites have been shut down um i guess certain internet access has been shut down to certain social media websites are people in the country are they still able to through either vpns or tour or other ways are they able to get around some of the measures that um uh putin and his government are putting in place and still able to access um some of the outside internet channels are they able to do that stuff yes of course at at the end what they can ban is the fact that what media is issued but they cannot control the internet then an internet is a free platform so at the end they might ban youtube and therefore they they might not get the video which to my knowledge that hasn't happened but i think that every well i'm not everyone but everyone who's interested and has a vpn and has a good computer and network to support entering on the dark web might be able to contact the cia the problem might be if the information really arrives to those people, even if Russia has put a ban on the internet or in several platforms. So that might be the problem, not the problem of entering and facilitating the information to the CIA, because those channels are not limited or prohibited. The prohibition might come from the fact that they might have banned, for instance, the channel of the CIA in Russia, and therefore the information might not arrive if it's only through that video. Got it. So, there, I mean, I guess, and as you mentioned, I mean, this possibly being the way of the future, I mean, you know, since the Internet sometimes cannot be stopped. Right. And so, you know, depending on how I know there are some people who've talked about, I think Elon Musk had launched um, a satellite to provide Internet over Ukraine yeah. to kind of keep certain things going. So if you're kind of putting up satellites or putting certain things in place to kind of do a, a workaround of people shutting down certain other services, some of these things may still be available for people to access and still get information to you in a very, very non-permissive environment. I'm assuming that right now the environment for maybe the CIA or other intelligence services to work within Russia has become a lot more dangerous since the war has broken out, right? And so they're probably trying to find unique ways to still operate in the country and then see if there's anyone who's going to provide information that may be of assistance in terms of dealing with this um, threat situation with Ukraine 
and possibly even a nuclear war situation that the Russians keep talking about going forward. In this framework, it, it seems as if the dynamics of uh, social media, and I think you know we're just probably getting started here, but it seems as if there's an unlimited space in social media and even the dark web. I think you know with Tor, and I'm assuming that some people are using some of these um, uh, private messengers like Telegram, Signal, and other things. Um, are we seeing more of these tools being utilized by a large number of people who want to get private messages to um, other people? Yes, of course. Now our data is not secure. Um, we see that um, large enterprises sell our data to other ones in order to get a reward. We receive random emails from sites that we have not subscribed to. So at the end, I think that as data becomes more important and precisely because we are aware that our data is at risk and that we are losing our data privacy, I guess that a lot of people are likely to jump to other platforms that have end-to-end encryption so that their messages are secure. I think that Elon, when going back to what you said, I think that he wanted, uh, that's an idea, I think that he tweeted that, that he wanted to make Twitter end-to-end encryption. So at the end, the, the messages of Twitter can be deciphered by someone from a third party because they are not fully encrypted, what is known as end-to-end encryption. So at the end, I I totally agree on what you said on the fact that more people even now are using more end-to-end encryption platforms like Telegram or like other platforms because they are not sure if their data or if their communications are compromised. So at the end, trying to find alternatives that provide that security for you or that extra layer of protection for threat actors to be more difficult to access your conversations. I think that it's a trend that we will see in the future. Marina, we've got to take a quick break, but when we come back, I want to talk about some of these other issues. I know um, you and your team are monitoring a wide number of issues that deal with uh, the cyber realm and also the counter the counterintelligence and espionage realm. So I want to dive into a couple of the, these different things as we get back. I want to take a quick break and then we come back we'll jump right back into it. I know you mentioned there's a report. You got a report coming out. Um, It's going to be on the counterterrorism group website. Is that what it's going to be about this uh, CIA? I know you guys are doing some analysis on it. Is that right? Yeah, we will send it next week. Yeah. Okay, I'll send it. So I think it'll probably be out on Monday. You can find it on counterterrorismgroup.com and then we'll be able to take a look at it and see what the analysis is about what's going on. This may be the future of intelligence as we go into uh, in certain environments that are very, very non-permissive going forward. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Fed Access with Derek T. Deutsch on Federal News Network. We're talking to Marina Tovar from the Counterterrorism Group. She's in charge of the CI cyber team, and she's giving us some updates about what's going on in the realm of cyber and also counter-intel and counter-espionage right now. We'll be right back after this break. Welcome back to Fed Access with Derek T. George from the Federal News Network. We're talking about a number of different things right now in terms of the cyber realm. We've got Marina Tovar with us. She's an expert on this subject. She's talking about a number of different things in her security briefs. Her team is a counterintelligence and cyber team at the counterterrorism group. She's the team lead. She's an intel analyst, and she monitors these issues all the time. If you just joined us, you just missed out on an interesting segment that we were talking about how the CIA is using social media. They're using YouTube in order to get messages over to people in Russia to possibly provide them information about what is going on in the country. 
So we're just seeing a large number of things that are happening in this cyber realm, whether it be the use of social media, whether it be the use of um, the dark web or, or, or this, that, and the other, maybe the use of private messaging programs. But this seems to be an unlimited area. But with that all happening, there also seems to be an increase in the rise of ransom-aware attacks. And so we want to talk about that right now. Marina, tell us about what's going on with these ransomware attacks these days. So we are currently seeing an increase on ransomware attacks and a very interesting new related to that that we have just analyzed in our latest security brief also is the fact that um, Breville, which is a Russian-based ransomware group, very known for committing um, ransomware attacks towards U.S. enterprises, for instance, GBS US, Gaseya, Apple, and others, um, really went offline in October 2021 after several of his platforms were hacked by the Europol, I think, or the Interpol. And we are seeing news on the fact that um, its platform, which has changed its appearance, they have created a new website which has used the same Tor servers and a new encryptor that is linked to it. So their reemergence of Rebel could really put a new threat or re-emerge the threat of ransomware attacks as this new actor enters again the, the platform. Wow. Is Revel um, just one of many of these organizations who are starting to use more ransomware? I mean, let me ask this question. With the ransomware, has that been, I know it's been profitable in the past. Is it still very, very profitable for some of these um, cybercrime organizations to use this type of stuff? Are they still holding well, people... Um, hostage in terms of their data and everything else? Is that still as popular? I know it just was happening with um, many different um, companies and even individuals and even sometimes some government agencies. Is that still one of the primary things they're using to get money? I would say it is. So the tendency that we've seen so far in the last months inside cyber and in the security briefs that we have analyzed is the fact that we have seen more phishing campaigns linked with malware but still, ransomware attacks play a huge role because they allow for a twofold. I would say that ransomware attacks or ransomware itself provides like a three ways, three different ways for the threat actor to benefit from the attack. On the one hand, ransomware can be used as a service. So, for instance, a ransomware provider, which might be, for instance, Rebel or DarkSide, might provide their tools or their ransomware specifically designed for, I don't know, Microsoft, and provide those services, uh, that, is, that is why it's designed that ransomware as a service, and provide it to another threat actor, and they might share the benefits. So, for instance, the provider provides the tools, and the threat actor, which would be the client, will use those tools to conduct the attack. So at the end, the provider is getting a part of the profit of the attack that is conducted by the mere sense of providing the ransomware. On the other hand, if we see that the ransomware, um, the threat actors use the ransomware in a ransomware attack, they can get the profit in a two-way fold. So on the one hand, they can encrypt the networks and therefore demand the ransom for them to decrypt the networks and continue allowing the victim for their operations to continue. Or on the other hand, they can also steal the data and threaten the victim to leak the data. So at the end, ransomware is extremely profitable because you not only steal the victim's data and threaten them to make to release them public, but also you encrypt their networks and threaten them to not encrypt them, which might, if it's a huge company, it might prevent them from like 
operating and their benefits would decrease, the customer trust would highly decrease. So at the end, for me, to my consideration, it's the most effective method at the end. Is it R Evo or something like that? Or that, that's, that's the Russian group. Is that correct, Marina? Is that the group yeah. that came from Russia? I was just wondering, um, are they still doing the same amount of work with everything going on with the war in Ukraine? Are they still as active or, or have they kind of scaled back their operations because of what's going on right now? I know we were all, I mean, for us in the U.S. and maybe other countries, we were all concerned um, because they seem to be one of the top, you know, cyber criminal organizations. And I think many people were wondering, were they just an independent organization or were they being funded or being supported by the Putin government? Um, was there ever any kind of indication about who these guys are and, you know, what is, um, you know, what's going to be some of their long-term strategies in terms of attacking, you know, are they going to attack certain industries? Are there certain people who should be aware of them because they have a certain kind of modus operandi? Or what should the people be looking for? We are not sure about the links on Rebel. I've been monitoring Rebel for, since I entered at CDG from a year ago, and I have found no public information or data available. If we can consider Rebel, what we say it's a state-sponsored group, so in the fact that you, as you were saying previously, if it receives funding or support from the Russian government and therefore its interests are usually linked with that, or if it's an independent threat actor. I'm not sure. Nevertheless, we see that the Rebels methodology consists on targeting large funding U.S. companies, which are usually considered also in the, in the what we say, the critical infrastructure sector. For instance, Apple, which is on telecommunications, which we saw GBS U.S., which is one of the largest meat um, producers. So mm-hmm. at the end... We see that they have a specific target, which is U.S. companies, which might go in line with Russian government objectives on destabilizing the U.S. economy. So we are not sure, but we might kind of establish a connection on which are the objectives of the Russian government and which are the objectives of rebel so there might be a link but we don't have any kind of information that allows us to really establish a clear connection among those two parties definitely understand that without question but whatever the case is there is a a cyber war going on it seems (laughs) it seems as if we're in a a full blast of cyber war and with that being the case we got to take a quick break marina but when we come back i want to talk about the cyber war that's going on in ukraine it seems to be that we're not just having warfare on the ground We've got a also um, heavy um, cyber warfare, though, you know, a fight that's happening between um, the Ukrainian uh, um, uh, defense uh, or national security apparatus, as well as the Russians who are trying to um, decapitate some of their resources and try to get a strategic advantage against them kind of going forward. I want to talk about that when we come back. We're talking to Marina Tovar. She is a counterintelligence analyst at the counterterrorism group, and she is also the team leader of the counterintelligence and cyber team, and they monitor these threats on a daily basis about what's going on with the cyber threats, what's going on with espionage threats, and what's going on in the world of counterintel. We're talking to her about what is happening around the world. We've talked about the CIA using um, social media to establish some contacts. We've talked about the ransomware attacks and um, these Russian actors who are targeting critical infrastructure in certain kind of ways. And when we get back, we'll be talking about cyber warfare. So stay tuned. We'll be right back after this break. You're listening to Fed Access with Derek T. Deutsch on Federal News Network. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to Fed Assets with Derek T. George from the Federal News Network. If you just joined us, we've been talking about the cyber issues. We've been talking about a number of different things that are going on in the cyber realm. Everything from a U.S. intelligence agency, the CIA, using social media to access a non-permissive environment and get Russian people to give information about what's going on in the country right now, all the way to looking at the rise of ransomware and that also what industries need to be aware of possible future attacks that may be coming at them, critical infrastructure, the food sector, and other areas that need to be aware that there are these threat actors who may be going after their information, trying to lock their system down, and then use that in order to get money from them and then destabilize um, U.S. interests kind of going forward. But we want to talk about the next framework of cyber warfare. We've got Marina Tovar with us. She's an expert on this subject. She's talking about a number of different things in her security briefs. Her team is a kind of intelligence and cyber team at the counterterrorism group. She's a team lead. She's an intel analyst, and she monitors these issues all the time. But Marina, talk to us about what's going on with cyber warfare in Ukraine. The battle is not just on the ground. That's what we're hearing. We're hearing that the, the battle is also in cyberspace. What's happening? So what do we see for, I would not say the first time because Russia has also used cyber attacks when he tried to invade Georgia in 2014, but we see that Russia is repeating a pattern of hybrid warfare. What we would see it's a combination of underground troops, so direct confrontation as it has always been, like traditional war. But we see also that we add a cyber space, we add their cyber sphere, to this new war that it's taking place. So at the end, we see that prior to the invasion, there was a massive DDoS attack, which is a denial of service attack, targeting Russian, I Russian, Ukrainian websites with the aim to maybe leave some backdoor open for once the invasion kick off or try to steal some data or try to disrupt or try to promote disinformation within those websites. So at the end that we see that previous to the invasion and throughout the and throughout the invasion russian and belarusian um state sponsored cyber groups or russian groups without official confirmation of them being linked to the russian or the belarusian government we see that they have been trying to target several um, critical infrastructure in Ukraine. We may we have mainly been covering that and we see that the main Red or the main actor that it's being targeted is the Computer Emergency Response Team of Ukraine, which is an, an institution that is linked to the cybersecurity of Ukraine. And threat actors might be targeting that in order for them to access the networks and steal some sensitive data. So that's what we see. We see a, a really underground direct confrontation with Putin trying to advance in in entering Ukraine, but also we see that they try to debilitate also the communications of Ukraine. So we see this twofold strategy that Putin is using. You know, did, did Ukraine have um, some cyber uh, warfare elements in their um, national security apparatus or their homeland security apparatus? I mean, are they able to defend themselves or are they um, relying on um, allies, uh, whether it be the U.S. or otherwise, to maybe help them in terms of maybe defending some of their critical critical infrastructure? And then also, too, are they, um, I don't know if you're able to see this or not through some of your reporting um, and some of your collection, are they also able to fight back against Russia and maybe take the fight to Russia 
in terms of um, uh, maybe trying to maybe destabilize some Russia critical infrastructure with some of their cyber attacks? That's a very interesting question. So what we have mainly been seeing the last weeks is the fact that Threat actors have targeted what we have said before, which is the computer emergency response team of Ukraine. And there's no public information on whether data has been leaked, on whether if the threat actors have effectively entered the system. So we really just know the factual information of the event. And there, then we have to guess because there's no public information on that matter. Nevertheless, we see that if all the threat actors have repeatedly targeted that institution and they previously did it before starting the invasion, it it is very likely or almost certainly that some backdoor might be there. And if the institution is repeatedly targeted, it's because it contains really sensitive information that they want to access. Nevertheless, if we see that there is repeated targeting, it might be because they are defending back and they are not able to target the institution. Because at the end, once you target an institution and you get all the sensitive data that you need, you just leave that institution alone. But we will see, especially in the context of the Ukraine-Russia war, is that if they target these institutions so repeatedly, it's because there's updated information on, for instance, military plans or telecommunications trying to be disrupted that they really want to um, exploit, if we can say that way. So at the end, I we really have these two scenarios that they do not effectively enter because Ukraine system are really protected or because they try to access information that it's constantly updated and therefore they, they target it all the time. And also we don't see um, active responding from Ukraine targeting Russian institutions or Russian um, cyber infrastructure. But we saw that um, Ukraine made the public announcement regarding their their hacker um, culture or their hacker teams to really target them. And what has what a threat actor that has been really active targeting Russian infrastructure, cyber infrastructure, has been Anonymous, which is a hacktivist group that it has claimed to be independent. And it really conducted a several DDoS attack, I think, three weeks ago or a month ago, which accessed the Russian government or the Russian Ministry of Defense database. And I think that they got some information. But I guess that this is like the big picture of, of what's going on. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I did hear about Anonymous um, um, saying they were going to uh, begin to attack uh, Russia and, and maybe some of their infrastructure as well or some of their organizations. Um, so they have actually been doing that um, on behalf of the Ukrainian um, people. Is that correct? Yeah, so actually, if those that want to check it out, the Cyber team got out a report, an analysis and intelligence report a month ago, written by Kiana Grilicha, which is one of our analysts. She did an amazing job. So there's a specific report for that on the role of Anonymous on the cyber warfare in Ukraine on CTG's website, if they want to check it out. <laughs> you know what we'll do? We'll get a link to that and we'll put it up on the site if anyone wants to read about what's going on. Because it's interesting, I mean, of course, that that Ukraine has a number of different, not only government allies, but they also have a number of people who are uh, um, not just private sector allies, but it seems to be um, some other groups, right, who are trying to also do what they can in the fight to protect Ukraine and maybe protect democracy as we see it in terms of this uh, unprovoked attack against Ukraine going forward. Um, you know, it probably, as you kind of said, it's probably that the U.S. government, I'm assuming, and, and of course we can only make an assumption, 
that maybe the U.S. government beyond just giving them um, Howard Sirs and 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 you know and you know other kind of weapon systems. Um, they're probably also maybe assisting them on the cyber side because, as you mentioned, um, some of these uh, Russian attacks have not been successful, and the critical infrastructure in Kiev and other places is still operating. The lights are still on, um, the power is still going. Um, they're still able to operate. They're still able to um, do command and control. So they must have some kind of um, assistance or some kind of program that they're able to defend from these kind of attacks. Will we, can we make that assumption? Is that probably true, Marina? Yeah, I would say it's probably true. Outstanding. With that kind of being the case, do you see that um, in the framework of, of what Russia is doing in terms of the cyber warfare, do you see that this is going to continue to escalate? I think it's likely to escalate because we've seen that Russia had an initial plan in terms of their on the on the ground troops. They planned to invade all Ukraine within a week and they didn't expect resistance. So at the end, targeting the cyber infrastructure, it's just a way of debilitating the enemy. And if this invasion takes for more lo long time, it is likely that cyber warfare will escalate, mainly, I would say, from the Russian side in order for debilitate Ukraine and try for them on the ground troops to be more effective as telecommunications are cut. So, yeah, I would say it will likely escalate. I want to keep on talking about this topic, but I want to take it to the world and then we can talk about how um, cyber warfare is being conducted against Western countries when we come back, Marina. I want to kind of keep this um, um, topic and just kind of expand it and see uh, uh, what's happening beyond just Ukraine because it seems as if cyber warfare is 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 going to probably be, and, and we've talked about this before, it is probably the way of the future of warfare, but it's also probably an element in terms of many countries have to think about if you are attacked on a cyber realm, does that then provoke actual on the ground action depending on what's going on, depending on the nature of the attack? So to hear that there are maybe more attacks that are going to be happening in other countries, then I want to talk about that kind of going from there. We're talking to Marina Tovar. She is uh, an expert on cyber, an expert on counterintelligence, an expert on counterespionage. She's a team leader of the CI cyber team at the Counterterrorism Group, and she's our guest today, and she's breaking things down for us about what's going on in the realm of cyber, in the realm of, of social media, in the realm of uh, um, ransomware attacks, in the realm of, of the use of the dark web and this, that, and the other. She's given us a rundown of all these interesting and very, very relevant topics. When we come back, we're going to keep on talking to her about what is going on with cyber warfare in the bigger world and not just Ukraine. So please come on back. You listen to Derek T. Dorch on Fed Access on Federal News Network. We'll be right back after this break. Welcome back to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on the Federal News Network. If you just joined us, we're talking about cyber. We're talking about cyber issues as it relates to what's going on in Ukraine. We're talking about cyber issues as it relates to seeing the CIA begin to use social media as a platform to get information about a country that's an adversary. We're talking about cyber as it relates to ransomware being used more and more to target critical infrastructure. We're talking about everything cyber right now because it's relevant in all of our lives and we're seeing the evolution of some of these different tools, whether it be social media, dark web, whether it be ransomware, whatever the case is, having more of an impact on our society. We're talking to Marina Tovar. She is an expert on this issue, and she's a team lead 
for the counterintelligence and cyber team at the counterterrorism group. You can find them at the counter well, you can find them at counterterrorismgroup.com and you can find some of the reports that Marina and her team does in terms of the security briefs, in terms of intel reports about this issue on the website right there. She mentioned a couple things that they are monitoring about how Anonymous is um, um, fighting uh, with the Ukrainians in order to target Russia, how a number of different uh, elements are um, um, being exposed in terms of ransomware and them attacking critical infrastructure in the U.S. and other places. And with that note, I want to talk about the cyber warfare on Western countries, Marina. Tell us about what's happening in terms of are we seeing that either Russia or other elements are beginning to conduct cyber warfare on Western countries? Or what are we seeing in terms of cyber warfare in this element beyond just Ukraine? So we have not seen yet any official confirmation from the Russian government, really, or any state-sponsored cyber group announcing that they have targeted a Western government or a Western public institution. Nevertheless, we've seen some spillover effects. A couple of weeks ago, Russia announced a public um, list of non-friendly country that positioned themselves in favor of Ukraine and therefore against Russia. And we've curiously seen a couple of weeks ago a state-sponsored cyber group from Russia targeting Iberdrola, which is a Spanish provider of energy, one of the biggest ones here in Spain. We saw that that threat actor leaked 1.3 million of data of their customers. So we have not directly seen any targeting of financial institutions or any major disruption in critical infrastructure, but we've seen that some of the spillover effects or some state-sponsored threat actors have targeted critical infrastructure, for instance, the Spanish energetical sector, um, by leaking their data. So we since it's not clear what cyber warfare is at the end because there's no consensus and we don't know who is involved, who is targeted and who is the objective, we cannot really know if this case, if this cyber attack really belongs to cyber warfare. So we don't know. You know, it it makes it kind of interesting because, uh, you know, Secretary of Defense Austin just had um, those over 40 countries meet with him and they were all, together saying that they were willing to help out Ukraine. Those could all possibly be targets for um, Russian actors. And maybe they're not, um, uh, they may be state-sponsored or um, independent actors who are, you know, uh, trying not to look like they're state-sponsored. But all of these countries could possibly be targets in terms of future kind of cyber attacks. Is that what we're possibly concerned about in the future? Yeah, I would say that's a line worth of exploring because at the end, um, what it, you said it's totally true. Actually, Iberdrola, which is the institution that was targeted, um, the board were aware that Blinken made this announce and this announcement, and they were explicitly warned that they could be targeted by Russian threat actors. So we see that those institutions that have been previously warned are really not prepared or the policies that they have currently in place will not prevent for them being effectively attacked. So we see that we have institutions that are warned and we see that the policies that are currently in place might not be enough to prevent them from being attacked. Without question. If you were um, uh, providing advice in terms of the framework of what uh, maybe some of these countries or 
maybe even some, you know, organizations who have maybe come out in support of maybe Ukraine or other places, what should they be concerned about in terms of possible? Do you already kind of mention one attack in terms of someone kind of penetrating the organization and releasing a bunch of information? What other areas should they be concerned about in terms of possible attacks against either the country or the organization? I think everything is at stake. Um, so being specific on what they would target is difficult to um, specify. But however, I would say that what is most likely to be targeted is critical infrastructure, because at the end is what most harm causes to a country. Trying to disrupt operation of major companies or trying to disrupt telecommunications will likely, for instance, create social distrust or civil unrest. So at the end, Institute um, um, Russian threat actors will target institutions that are large, that have high revenues for them, for instance, to expand their funding, or they might target public institutions or governmental sectors to extract information that might be useful for them. So those would be the main institutions that should really enhance the policies. And I would say that they can implement a lot of um, things because what I think that those institutions that are at risk of suffering a cyber attack should really see which are the what we call TTPS, which is are the techniques, tools and methodologies that Russian groups use. And based on previous attacks, review the policies that they have and therefore make, for instance, redundant system, three to one backup systems and other systems that prevent or at least grant them copies of the data, if in case if it's leaked or encrypted systems for them to have a backup of that data to continue for them operating. So at the end, they need to see what happened, implement the lessons learned on the attacks, and really enhance those policies, especially those sectors that are really on what we say it's critical infrastructure of a country. You know, Marina, I was just um, reading something that was interesting the other day that um, some, and kind of going about what you were talking about, about backup system, but I heard that some um, companies are starting to use you know how they used to have the old backup tapes? Um, like they're using like some of the old um, the old data storage systems because they are not linked to the internet. So they're taking some of their data and they're putting on like old, like, you know, either floppy disks or the old uh, tape disks or whatever the case is in order to um, preserve that data, but then also make sure it cannot be, you know, uh, uh, tapped into off the internet kind of going forward from there. Do you see that that probably may be something that many companies begin to do in terms of a method to protect themselves long term? Um, I would say it's a safe method, obviously, because it cannot be accessed by third parties unless they are physically on the side. Right. Nevertheless, if they rely on what we call old school methods, um, there might be some issues, for instance, in terms of transferring the data, large amounts of data, if they are stored in physical backup systems, they might require large spaces to gather, which might be difficult, for instance, for small companies or for companies that might not yeah. get that method easily and rapidly. And it also might not be inefficient and the, there could be a failure to really transfer the data as it could be corrupted by, I don't know, any dust and therefore break the machine or anything. So sure. at the end, despite the fact that it's old school doesn't mean that it's the best way to do it. Right, right. I, I, I think people are probably scrambling and trying to find something, right? Just yeah. <laughs> what, can, 
what can we do right here? But no, you you definitely gave some interesting points. The last question, then I know we got to take, we got to head off after this. But um, are, are are the smaller countries? I know the U.S. has invested, and in the U.S. and maybe parts of Europe and UK other areas have invested heavily in cyber and the cyber talent workforce. Um, are we seeing the same thing with smaller countries that may not have the same uh, talent workforce? Are they still trying to either um, train people or get higher people in order to increase their cybersecurity, or are they just very, very vulnerable? I think that everyone is vulnerable, even the U.S. or big countries, despite the fact that their investment is huge. We see that with huge companies that have invested millions of dollars, for instance, Mm -hmm. Seattle and its previous ransomware attack. But I would see that smaller countries, obviously, it's just something that makes sense. Smaller countries might have less budget for in, in for like investing in cybersecurity and therefore might not have the same policies or the same backup systems to really effectively recover from a cyber attack so yes obviously they are more vulnerable but for that and precisely because of how data and the importance of networks is currently nowadays due to the interdependence and and as you as you say everything is on the cloud so precisely because of this it's it's really important to invest in cybersecurity nowadays and small countries know that so that is why they will likely hire people for them to implement new policies and strategies to prevent from cyber attacks but at the end if they don't have a huge budget to really do that those policies will not appear wow you know, it seems as if this is going to be a continuous problem. So we're going to have to have you back, Marina, in order to kind of continue to kind of keep us abreast about what's going on. I just want to thank you for being on the show. You provided a, a wealth of knowledge that I think um, all of us need to be aware of in terms of where the world is going with cyber, cyber warfare, cyber espionage, um, the use of cyber tools and everything else. So thank you so much for doing this. Keep the good work up with what you're doing at, at the Counterterrorism Group. We've been talking to Marina Tovar. She is an expert on the area of cyber and also the area of counterintelligence and counterespionage. She's a team leader for the CI Cyber Group at the Counterterrorism Group in terms of what they do. They provide a daily briefing about cyber issues and counterintel issues on every Monday that comes out that you can read find out what's going on. You can find that information at the counterterrorismgroup.com, or I should say counterterrorismgroup.com website. There are many reports on there. I've been reading the reports. That's how I found Marina. And so therefore, you should take a look at it. It will definitely educate you about what's going on. Marina, thank you so much. We'll be back next week with a new show. And so thank you to everybody for listening to Fed Access with Derek T. George from the Federal News Network. You've been listening to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Network. Tune in Monday afternoons at 1 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.